0: Aphorisms one hundred twenty one to one hundred thirty of Book One of the New Organon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alan Shaw. The New Organon by Francis Bacon. Translated by James Spedding, Robert Leslie Ellis, and Douglas Denon Heath. Aphorisms 121 to 130 of Book 1 Aphorism 121 But there is another objection which must be more carefully looked to, namely, that there are many things in this history which to common apprehension, or indeed to any understanding accustomed to the present system, will seem to be curiously and unprofitably subtle. Upon this point, therefore, above all, I must say again what I have said already, that at first, and for a time, I am seeking for experiments of light, not for experiments of fruit, following therein, as I have often said, the example of the divine creation, which on the first day produced light only, and assigned to it alone one entire day, nor mixed up with it on that day any material work. To suppose therefore that things like these are of no use is the same as to suppose that light is of no use, because it is not a thing solid or material. And the truth is that the knowledge of simple natures well examined and defined is as light. It gives entrance to all the secrets of nature's workshop, and virtually includes and draws after it whole bands and troops of works, and opens to us the sources of the noblest axioms. And yet in itself it is of no great use. So also the letters of the alphabet in themselves and apart have no use or meaning, yet they are the subject matter for the composition and apparatus of all discourse. So again the seeds of things are of much latent virtue, and yet of no use except in their development, and the scattered rays of light itself, until they are made to converge, can impart none of their benefit. But if objection be taken to speculative subtleties, what is to be said of the schoolmen, who have indulged in subtleties to such excess, and subtleties too that were spent on words, or at any rate on popular notions, which is much the same thing, not on facts or nature? and such as were useless not only in their origin but also in their consequences, and not like those I speak of, useless indeed for the present, but promising infinite utility hereafter. But let men be assured of this, that all subtlety of disputation and discourse, if not applied till after axioms are discovered, is out of season and preposterous, and that the true and proper, or at any rate the chief time for subtlety, is in weighing experience and in founding axioms thereon. For that other subtlety, though it grasps and snatches at nature, yet can never take hold of her. Certainly what is said of opportunity or fortune is most true of nature. She has a lock in front, but is bald behind. Lastly, concerning the disdain to receive into natural history things either common or mean, or over-subtle and in their original condition useless, the answer of the poor woman to the haughty prince who had rejected her petition as an unworthy thing and beneath his dignity may be taken for an oracle then leave off being king. For most certain it is that he who will not attend to things like these as being too paltry and minute, can neither win the kingdom of nature nor govern it. Aphorism 122. It may be thought also a strange and a harsh thing that we should at once and with one blow set aside all sciences and all authors, and that too without calling in any of the ancients to our aid and support, but relying on our own strength. And I know that if I had chosen to deal less sincerely, I might easily have found authority for my suggestions by referring them either to the old times before the Greeks, when natural science was perhaps more flourishing, though it made less noise, not having yet passed into the pipes and trumpets of the Greeks, or even, in part at least, to some of the Greeks themselves, and so gained for them both support and honor, as men of no family devise for themselves by the good help of genealogies the nobility of a descent from some ancient stock, But for my part, relying on the evidence and truth of things, I reject all forms of fiction and imposture. Nor do I think that it matters any more to the business in hand whether the discoveries that shall now be made were long ago known to the ancients, and have their settings and their risings according to the vicissitude of things and courses of ages. than it matters to mankind whether the new world be that island of Atlantis, with which the ancients were acquainted, or now discovered for the first time for new discoveries must be sought from the light of nature, not fetched back out of the darkness of antiquity. And as for the universality of the censure, certainly if the matter be truly considered, such a censure is not only more probable but more modest, too, than a partial one would be. For if the errors had not been rooted in primary notions, there must have been some true discoveries to correct the false. But the errors being fundamental, and not so much of false judgment as of inattention and oversight, it is no wonder that men have not obtained what they have not tried for, nor reached a mark which they never set up, nor finished a course which they never entered on or kept. And as for the presumption implied in it, certainly if a man undertakes by steadiness of hand and power of eye to describe a straighter line or more perfect circle than any one else, he challenges a comparison of abilities. But if he only says that he, with the help of a rule or a pair of compasses, can draw a straighter line or more perfect circle than any one else can by eye and hand alone, he makes no great boast and this remark be it observed applies not merely to this first and inceptive attempt of mine but to all that shall take the work in hand hereafter for my way of discovering sciences goes far to level men's wit and leaves but little to individual excellence because it performs everything by the surest rules and demonstrations and therefore i attribute my part in all this as i have often said rather to good luck than to ability and account it a birth of time rather than of wit For certainly chance has something to do with men's thoughts, as well as with their works and deeds. Aphorism 123 I may say then of myself that which one said in jest, since it marks the distinction so truly. It cannot be that we should think alike when one drinks water and the other drinks wine. Now other men, as well in ancient as in modern times, have in the matter of sciences drunk a crude liquor like water, either flowing spontaneously from the understanding, are drawn up by logic as by wheels from a well. Whereas I pledge mankind in a liquor strained from countless grapes, from grapes ripe and fully seasoned, collected and clustered, and gathered, and then squeezed in the press, and finally purified and clarified in the vat, and therefore it is no wonder if they and I do not think alike. Aphorism 124 Again, it will be thought, no doubt, that the goal and mark of knowledge which I myself set up, the very point which I object to in others, is not the true or the best, for that the contemplation of truth is a thing worthier and loftier than all utility and magnitude of works, and that this long and anxious dwelling with experience and matter, in the fluctuations of individual things, drags down the mind to earth, or rather sinks it to a very tartarus of turmoil and confusion, removing and withdrawing it from the serene tranquility of abstract wisdom, a condition far more heavenly. Now to this I readily assent, and indeed this which they point at as so much to be preferred is the very thing of all others which I am about, for I am building in the human understanding a true model of the world, such as it is in fact, not such as a man's own reason would have it to be, a thing which cannot be done without a very diligent dissection and anatomy of the world. But I say that those foolish and apish images of worlds which the fancies of men have created in philosophical systems must be utterly scattered to the winds. Be it known, then, how vast a difference there is, as I said above, between the idols of the human mind and the ideas of the divine. The former are nothing more than arbitrary abstractions. The latter are the creator's own stamp upon creation, impressed and defined in matter by true and exquisite lines. Truth, therefore, and utility are here the very same things, and works themselves are of greater value as pledges of truth than as contributing to the comforts of life. Aphorism 125. It may be thought again that I am but doing what has been done before, that the ancients themselves took the same course which I am now taking, and that it is likely therefore that I too, after all this stir and striving, shall come at last to some one of those systems which prevailed in ancient times. For the ancients too, it will be said, provided at the outset of their speculations a great store and abundance of examples and particulars, digested the same into notebooks under heads and titles, From them completed their systems and arts, and afterwards, when they understood the matter, published them to the world, adding a few examples here and there for proof and illustration. But thought it superfluous and inconvenient to publish their notes and minutes and digests of particulars, and therefore did as builders do. After the house was built, they removed the scaffolding and ladders out of sight. And so, no doubt, they did. But this objection, or scruple rather, will be easily answered by anyone who has not quite forgotten what I have said above. For the form of inquiry and discovery that was in use among the ancients is by themselves professed and appears on the very face of their writings. And that form was simply this. From a few examples in particulars, with the addition of common notions and perhaps of some portion of the received opinions which have been most popular, they flew at once to the most general conclusions or first principles of science. Taking the truth of these as fixed and immovable, they proceeded by means of intermediate propositions to educe and prove from them the inferior conclusions and out of these they framed the art. After that, if any new particulars and examples repugnant to their dogmas were mooted and adduced, either they subtly molded them into their system by distinctions or explanations of their rules, or else coarsely got rid of them by exceptions. While to such particulars as were not repugnant, they labored to assign causes in conformity with those of their principles. But this was not the natural history and experience that was wanted far from it and besides, that flying off to the highest generalities ruined all. Aphorism 126. It will also be thought that by forbidding men to pronounce and to set down principles as established until they have duly arrived through the intermediate steps at the highest generalities, I maintain a sort of suspension of the judgment, and bring it to what the Greeks call akatalepsia, a denial of the capacity of the mind to comprehend truth, But in reality that which I meditate and propound is not a catalepsia, but eucatalepsia, not denial of the capacity to understand, but provision for understanding truly. For I do not take away authority from the senses, but supply them with helps. I do not slight the understanding, but govern it. And better surely it is that we should know all we need to know and yet think our knowledge imperfect, than that we should think our knowledge perfect and yet not know anything we need to know. Aphorism 127. It may also be asked, in the way of doubt rather than objection, whether I speak of natural philosophy only, or whether I mean that the other sciences, logic, ethics, and politics should be carried on by this method. Now I certainly mean what I have said to be understood of them all. And as the common logic, which governs by the syllogism, extends not only to natural but to all sciences, so does mine also, which proceeds by induction, embrace everything. For I form a history and table of discovery for anger, fear, shame, and the like, for matters political, and again for the mental operations of memory, composition and division, judgment, and the rest, not less than for heat and cold, or light, or vegetation, or the like. But nevertheless, since my method of interpretation, after the history has been prepared and duly arranged, regards not the working and discourse of the mind only, as the common logic does, but the nature of things also, I supply the mind such rules and guidance that it may in every case apply itself aptly to the nature of things, and therefore I deliver many and diverse precepts in the doctrine of interpretation, which in some measure modify the method of invention according to the quality and condition of the subject of the inquiry. Aphorism 128 On one point, not even a doubt ought to be entertained namely whether i desire to pull down and destroy the philosophy and arts and sciences which are at present in use so far from that i am most glad to see them used cultivated and honored there is no reason why the arts which are now in fashion should not continue to supply matter for disputation and ornaments for discourse to be employed for the convenience of professors and men of business to be in short like current coin which passes among men by consent nay i frankly declare that what i am introducing will be but little fitted for such purposes as these since it cannot be brought down to common apprehension save by effects and works only but how sincere i am in my professions of affection and good will toward the received sciences my published writings especially the books on the advancement of learning sufficiently show and therefore i will not attempt to prove it further by words meanwhile i give constant and distinct warning that by the methods now in use neither can any great progress be made in the doctrines and contemplated part of sciences nor can they be carried out to any magnitude of works aphorism 129 it remains for me to say a few words touching the excellency of the end in view had they been uttered earlier they might have seemed like idle wishes but now that hopes have been raised and unfair prejudices removed they may perhaps have greater weight Also, if I had finished all myself, and had no occasion to call on others to help and take part in the work, I should even now have abstained from such language, lest it might be taken as a proclamation of my own deserts. But since I want to quicken the industry, and rouse and kindle the zeal of others, it is fitting that I put men in mind of some things. In the first place, then, the introduction of famous discoveries appears to hold by far the first place among human actions, and this was the judgment of the former ages. For to the authors of inventions they awarded divine honors, while to those who did good service in the state, such as founders of cities and empires, legislators, saviors of their country from long-endured evils, quellers of tyrannies, and the like, they decreed no higher honors than heroic. And certainly if a man rightly compare the two, he will find that this judgment of antiquity was just. For the benefits of discoveries may extend to the whole race of man, civil benefits only to particular places, The latter lasts not beyond a few ages, the former through all time. Moreover, the reformation of a state in civil matters is seldom brought in without violence and confusion, but discoveries carry blessings with them, and confer benefits without causing harm or sorrow to any. Again, discoveries are, as it were, new creations, and imitations of God's works, as the poet well sang, to man's frail race great Athens long ago, first gave the seed whence waving harvests grow, and recreated all our life below. And it appears worthy of remark in Solomon, that, though mighty in empire and in gold, in the magnificence of his works, his court, his household, and his fleet, in the luster of his name and the worship of mankind, yet he took none of these to glory in but pronounced that, the glory of God is to conceal a thing, the glory of the king to search it out. Again, let a man only consider what a difference there is between the life of men in the most civilized province of Europe, and in the wildest and most barbarous districts of New India, he will feel it be great enough to justify the saying that, Man is a God to man. Not only in regard to aid and benefit, but also by a comparison of condition. And this difference comes not from soil, not from climate, not from race, but from the arts. Again, it is well to observe the force and virtue and consequences of discoveries, and these are to be seen nowhere more conspicuously than in those three which were unknown to the ancients, and of which the origin, though recent, is obscure and inglorious, namely, printing, gunpowder, and the magnet. For these three have changed the whole face and state of things throughout the world, the first in literature, the second in warfare, the third in navigation. whence have followed innumerable changes, insomuch that no empire, no sect, no star seems to have exerted greater power and influence in human affairs than these mechanical discoveries. Further, it will not be amiss to distinguish the three kinds and, as it were, grades of ambition in mankind. The first is of those who desire to extend their own power in their native country a vulgar and degenerate kind. The second is of those who labor to extend the power and dominion of their country among men. This certainly has more dignity, though not less covetousness. But if a man endeavor to establish and extend the power and dominion of the human race itself over the universe, his ambition, if ambition it can be called, is without doubt both a more wholesome and a more noble thing than the other two. Now the empire of man over things depends wholly on the arts and sciences, for we cannot command nature except by obeying her. Again, if men have thought so much of some one particular discovery as to regard him as more than man who has been able by some benefit to make the whole human race his debtor, how much higher a thing to discover that by means of which all things else shall be discovered with ease? And yet, to speak the whole truth, As the uses of light are infinite in enabling us to walk, to ply our arts, to read, to recognize one another, and nevertheless the very beholding of the light is itself a more excellent and a fairer thing than all the uses of it, so assuredly the very contemplation of things as they are, without superstition or imposture, error or confusion, is in itself more worthy than all the fruit of inventions. Lastly, if the debasement of arts and sciences to purposes of wickedness, luxury, and the like be made a ground of objection, let no one be moved thereby. For the same may be said of all earthly goods, of wit, courage, strength, beauty, wealth, light itself, and the rest. Only let the human race recover that right over nature which belongs to it by divine bequest, and let power be given it, the exercise thereof will be governed by sound reason and true religion aphorism 130 and now it is time for me to propound the art itself of interpreting nature in which although i conceive that i have given true and most useful precepts yet i do not say either that it is absolutely necessary as if nothing could be done without it or that it is perfect for i am of the opinion that if men had ready at hand a just history of nature and experience and laboured diligently thereon and if they could bind themselves to two rules the first to lay aside received opinions and notions and the second to refrain the mind for a time from the highest generalizations and those next to them, they would be able by the native and genuine force of the mind without any other art to fall into my form of interpretation. For interpretation is the true and natural work of the mind when freed from impediments. It is true, however, that by my precepts everything will be in more readiness and much more sure. Nor again do I mean to say that no improvement can be made upon these. On the contrary, I regard that the mind not only in its own faculties, but in its connection with things, must needs hold that the art of discovery may advance as discoveries advance. End of Aphorisms 121-130 to 130 of Book 1 End of Book 1 Recording by Alan Shaw